Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Pushkin. Hey y'all, it's Justin Richmond here. Just want to let everyone know that this episode of Broken Record was recorded and produced long before the coronavirus outbreak. It's with Bob Weir from The Grateful Dead. And since we recorded this episode, his Wolf Bros tour has been postponed. Hopefully it doesn't also wind up affecting the summer's Dead & Company dates. We'll have to wait and see. But we do plan to keep putting out episodes of the podcast that'll hopefully be a bit of a reprieve for everyone who's either continuing to work or practicing social distancing. We hope everyone out there stays safe and stays healthy. And we hope you enjoy Rick's conversation with the Grateful Dead's Bob Weir. Out of all the original members of the Grateful Dead, Bob Weir has had the longest and most productive trip of all. The Dead formed in the Bay Area in the mid-60s, touring relentlessly until Jerry Garcia's death in 95. They were able to keep their audience on their toes throughout their 30-year career with experimental, improvised live sets that stretched on for hours at a time. Every show was designed to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. As we'll hear in Bob's conversation with Rick Rubin, the band was never focused on making studio albums or writing perfect songs. It was always about playing live and seeing where the music would take them. It's an objective that has served them well. There's a rabid selection of deadheads who trade recordings of live shows to this day, a tradition the band started fostering decades ago. As a result, Bob credits the band with creating viral marketing long before the internet. In addition to The Grateful Dead, Bob has also toured with a number of offshoot bands, including Dead & Company with John Mayer and his latest project, Wolf Bros, with Don Was, who are on tour now. If there's anyone keeping the dead alive, it's Bob Weir. And after all these years, he's still just playing in the band. Bob starts off by telling Rick about a recent dream where his old friend Jerry visits him with this song that materializes into a giant, playful sheepdog. It's super trippy, but what else would you expect? 
This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Bob Weir in conversation with Rick Rubin from Shangri-La. Do you write songs all the time? What's your process like? Uh, there's stuff going in, stuff going on in my head all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, right now I'm I'm kind of writing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It, you know, it it comes out very very slowly, slower than a slug in a trance. But uh, but it, it, you know, I keep at it. Yeah. In the past, you worked a lot with a lyricist, and I understand he passed away. Yeah. Is that, um, how do you fill that gap, or how do you imagine it working going forward? Well, I've always, you know, I was working with John Barlow, the lyricist, yeah. but I always wrote like half of the lyrics, or usually wrote half of the lyrics. Yes. And um, would your half come first and he would finish them? Generally or? speaking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, I would come up with whatever it was that married that lyric to that music. Understood. And uh, and you would have already the framework melodically yeah, of yeah the phrasing yeah or you know some vague notion of that yes would would how often would a song change from the initial spirit when writing it sometimes not at all and sometimes it 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 get way different yeah. you, you know a song is. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive right in here. A song is a life form. It's a, a, a you know an alien life form. Uh, it's organic. Um, actually, I had a dream um, a few weeks back. My old pal Jerry came to me in, in the dream and uh, introduced to me a song. You know, and the song came in, and it's, it was like it was kind of it looked kind of like a great big, like room sized, uh, ethereal sheepdog. Yes. You know, it was big and friendly, and you yes. know, came up and sniffed me, and I batted it a little bit, and it uh, came back at me, and uh, yes. it was it was interactive, and 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 then we you know then we started playing and singing the song, and then we we were in it, we were in the song part of it we were part of that that functioning organism yes and then the dream sort of trailed off into whatever into wherever dreams go but um that just confirmed my 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 notion that i've held for the longest time that they're they're, a a song is a life form and it comes and visits us and uh it comes through certain people for whatever its reasons are yes and uh, or whatever its attractions are, and yes. and uh, and when it's time for it to come, it's going to come. Whether yeah. it comes through you or through someone else, yeah. it's coming. Yeah, it's coming to this world, and it's coming to sniff around and, and visit and uh, and and hang. Yes, and you know those those characters in those songs. You know they they come and they tell their stories, and mm-hmm. and they're they're you know they they just want to be heard. Mm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. When you woke up, did you remember the song? Uh, not very well. It was a jazz ballad. Um, we were singing, we were doing a duet on it where you, you don't hear many of those, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, in this particular case, uh, you know, jazz ballad, yeah. Do, do songs often come to you in, in dreams? A lot of them. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, the, the, the good ones. Yeah. It's what a gift. I ha- sometimes I'll have a song come in a dream, but it's hard for me to, to keep them. 
you know, it's hard for them to hang around. Right. Yeah. You got to get right on it. Yeah. And what I've, what I've found is I've sort of made a deal with my, a little deal with, with my muse. Yes. Where, uh, you know, no matter what time of day, no matter what I'm getting up, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pick up my guitar. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, get enough of it down so that, uh, you know, otherwise I'm afraid she'll stop visiting. Yeah. And would the way you'd get it down be to record something or might it be to yeah, write something? I'll generally, a phone makes it real easy these days. Yeah. So you'll sing it into the phone. Yeah. Or sing and play it into yeah. the phone. Yeah. How did, um, how would set lists work in, in the band? Well, that's interesting. The, the way the dead, the Grateful Dead used to do it is, uh, um, Jerry and I, you know, it'd be his turn to start or my turn to start. And, uh, You'd take turns back and forth. Yeah. We, we'd take Always. Turn. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, well, you know, and we'd figure out the first couple of tunes that we were going to do, maybe first three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'd generally come up with, uh, what we were going to wrap the set up with, mm-hmm. uh, it says right here on paper. And then, uh, and then while Jerry was singing, I had all the time on earth to, to, to figure out what I wanted to do next. And often as not, I'd try to coax that tune out of the one we were playing when, when it was time to wrap that one up. Yeah. And then he'd be doing the same thing when I was singing. And would they always come, or did you have did you have a list of things to draw from, or you just always have them in the doors uh, floating around? Toward the end, I, I you know, toward the end, it was handy to have a list because so many, yeah, the repertoire got pretty expansive. Yeah, and uh, and we tried to stay up on all the tunes that we we'd brought around. So you know, we have we you know the way we did things. We you know we never we got around to a tune maybe once a week. Yes. How would cover songs work their way into the set? Uh, sometimes they just came up, you know, and uh, a signature lick or something like that would, uh, oh, we're playing that? Okay, here goes nothing. I know that there are some covers that would work their way into this, work their way around often, you know, yeah. for a long period of time. Are there any that that just didn't work? <laughs> Oh, plenty, plenty of them. Uh, you know, we'd try them once. Who? I, I think when we tried. Uh, uh, Pigpen tried singing. This is a man's world. Yeah. Um, I think we actually did that twice just to make sure that we it was that bad. Because <laughs> in theory, that sounds like that could have been good. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you have, we have no control over those. Can't things. never tell. You never tell. How different were the members of the band? Would you say from each other? Like. Music wise, taste wise. Well, we had Pigpen, who was uh, very, very funky. He was all about blues and not much else. Mm-hmm. And then we had Phil, who was uh, into classically. He was classically trained, and uh, and and uh, sort of sort of moonlighted uh, in the jazz world. Mickey was a martial drummer. He uh, he played martial music. Uh, he was a, a national champion rudimentary snare drummer. And so he played one of those big field drums and, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> while marching. Billy's, uh, I finally figured out who Billy's uh, major influence was, and he never he I pointed it out to him, and he he uh, he allowed as I was spot on. 
was uh, there was a certain era of Ray Charles, that that drummer. Yeah. And Billy Billy captured that lilt. And I don't think he I don't think he even knew he did it. I don't think he he was thinking consciously doing uh, or consciously uh, attempting to do that. It just happened. Yes. And then Jerry was Jerry was all over the place. He loved he loved, but his, I think his deepest love was probably uh, string band music, country music, mm-hmm. acoustic based, like like Appalachian. Would you say or not well, necessarily? I think. Appalachian music, though he was a huge fan of George Jones, mm. Hank Hank Williams, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Lee Lewis, for that matter. Mm. And what would you say your what, where were your how would you describe your foundational taste? A, a little bit of all of it. I grew up uh, I grew up with the rock and roll radio station on most of the time. But if there wasn't any, there were two rock and roll stations, and if if I didn't like what was uh, on either of them, I'd uh, I'd go fishing. And uh, Christ, I you know, back in back in the sixties, um, if you went to a classical station, they played they they played modern classical music. They don't anymore. They they all play baroque music these days, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, I, I guess that's what they figure their audiences want to hear. And so I I, I don't much tune into those stations anymore but and then uh, and then there were the jazz stations or the or the country stations and so i you know i i shopped around and all you know it was the, the coolest stuff my brother turned me on to it was uh was uh, on sundays and sometimes on on a given evening you get the uh the black preachers and they they got cranked uh, they they really got cranked up, and uh, you know I I found that that that's music to me absolutely, and uh, you know they'd find a theme and they'd work it and uh, and and they'd have another theme and they'd work that and they'd work them together, and uh, you know I, so I I fell in love with that stuff too, beautiful, and then the folk boom happened the what Jerry used to call the the big folk scare <laughs> and uh, and a guitar was portable and uh, you could you could use it to accompany yourself singing and you could you could just tell story after story after story with your with your voice with your hands and uh, I found my home how ha- how would you say your relationship to music has changed over the course of your life? It's gotten deeper. Uh, you know, I, I was I say that yeah. I say that pretty easily though. Let me think about that because you know I wasn't all that deep when I was a kid. Yeah, or I don't think of myself as having been all that deep when I was a kid. But at the same time, when I was a kid, well, what mattered to me uh, mattered a lot. And so I guess I was kind of deep, and so I won't. I can't say that the music. The music's always been. I'll. I'll, ju- I'll just say that the music's always been uh, where I live. Yes. And you know the the rest of the rest of this world. I'm just visiting. Yes. Completely understood. Do you remember the the thing that made you want to start playing? I think it might have been seeing Elvis on TV mm-hmm. when I was seven or eight or nine, something like that. You know, and look at that guy. He's wow. 
he's into it. He's having fun. Yeah. And he's doing well. Yes. And it's, he's making real music, and I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to do that. Yeah, imagine seeing that as a kid for the first time. It was so outside of anything else going on in culture. It, it must have just been like a real revelation. Yeah, it was. Well, it was, you know, I couldn't I couldn't feature anything else. You know, I was seven years old, maybe eight, um, you know, so there's a strong, uh, strong desire to be a cowboy at that, at that age. Yeah. But uh, I figured I could at least work the two together. Yeah, kind of, you kind of did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when, the, when the band started, I think of the early days of the band as primarily electric, which was, which was sort of what was going on at the time. Is that, is that not accurate? Actually, you know, the, the band that uh, turned into the Grateful Dead was Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Champions. And we were a jug band. We were a damn good one. Wow. Um, we, you know, Pigpen made us authentic. Yes. You know, because he was nothing but authentic. Yes. He was just uh, born a couple decades too late and in a white body, but uh, the rest of it was authentic. Mm. And, uh, and, and and Jerry was a, an apt student of the... Of, of whatever uh, musical vein he was he was diving into, and I applied myself, and so the three of us were the core of that uh, of that jug band, and they're, 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 we had a sort of a re, uh, we had folks come and go in the rest of the band, and then that band turned into uh, turned into the Grateful Dead after about a year, but we that first year we were playing, you know what we excelled at was the old jug band music yes. and uh, i don't know if you play stuff on uh, play music on uh, but we could play uh, we can, maybe- yes should i pull something up now we could listen and talk sure about how about new minglewood blues well there's a hundred grateful dead versions right <laughs> let's see if there's a there's noah lewis jug band oh, yeah that's it that's good Magnificent. That's glorious. That's perfect. Now, it's interesting that Jugman music, those those musicians were, they were the guys, the, the riverboats had uh, the minstrel musicians. They were the minstrel musicians. Yes. And they'd do that stuff on the deck of a, of a boat for tips and stuff like that. Yes. And uh, I guess it's basically busking. And, uh, and then when they'd come to a town, they'd hop off the boat and uh, everything was portable. They just... Uh, they just go hit a street corner and uh, and play in the dark town. And there'd be like a washboard and a jug. A wash t- washboard, a tin jug. Cause a tin jug. Yeah, the, the, people think of uh, the uh, the porcelain jugs, but those those only make one note. A tin jug, you know, sounds like a tuba. I see. And I uh, see. And I know. I think I just learned something hearing that 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 I never made the connection before. But in old country music, kind of umpa bass lines, right? Yeah. Maybe that's maybe it came from the nature of the jug, because you could only kind of you could only oh, yeah. get the, you know the rhythm of it yeah, had yeah, to yeah. be kind of umpa. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Very There's interesting. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of percussion in a, on a on a no, tin and, jug, and, and you don't have so many choices of notes, even right, where you yeah. could get more than one note. It probably wasn't a wide range. No, you, you, you kind of you were you know you had to yeah a narrow narrow range. Yeah. How would you change if you were playing a jug? How would you change notes? 
I see. Just the sound, yeah. the sound you made is what, yeah. what changed it. I played the jug. I also played the wash tub. Cool. Yeah, and occasional guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In that outfit. Amazing. And then how did it? How did that band morph into the Dead? Um. So after about six months of playing in that band, um, Jerry wanted to take a, a sabbatical that summer, and so uh, he left. Uh, he had to find somebody to take his uh, beginning and intermediate intermediate students, so uh, he got me to do it, and uh, and so I had a, a a job at the at the at the music store, Dana Morgan Music, and um, and then when he came back, I kept a bunch of those students, and he just concentrated on his advanced students, and uh, and so we were both working there. And Pigpen would come in, and uh, Pigpen would sweep the floors. Uh, we were all working at the uh, at the music store by you know by the end of the summer, and uh, and the son of the owner of the music store wanted to be in a rock and roll band. So uh, so uh, we made a little deal with him. You can play the bass, um, and we'll uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll go be a rock and roll band. And uh, that lasted for four or five months, and then the guy, he really wasn't going to be our wasn't bass cut player. Out for it. He wasn't cut out for it. And uh, Jerry knew this guy, Phil, from, uh, I don't know where from, from a party I think they met mm-hmm. at. And, uh, and he figured uh, the guy's a trumpet player, but the bass, if you're going to pick up an instrument, the, the one you're going to be quickest to pick up is going to be bass. And so... Uh, um, we sort of conscripted him, yeah, and uh, and uh, went to work. Yeah, he's an unusually great bass player. I wonder if it's because he started as a trumpet player. Well, he, you know, he um, when he's playing, he's visualizing the uh, he he, he can read music, and he's visualizing the music that we're all playing and, you know, in notes and staffs and stuff like that. And in color, you know, when I'm, when I'm playing, I also visualize the music, um, but it's more an ethereal kind of deal. I just see lines and, and, uh, and colors and stuff like that. Mm. Pre, um, pre acid. Did you see music that way? Yeah. Always. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. Yes. But I, you know, the, you know, I think maybe the first time I, I took acid, I you know, I, I realized, oh, okay, well, you're hallucinating, but you always do that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, oh yeah, okay, well, that's what hallucinating hallucination is, uh, yeah. But I've been doing that for uh, since I can remember. Yes, it just it it just uh, allowed you to recognize really, what yeah. was already happening. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, 
Subject to credit approval, terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, so they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. We're back with Rick Rubin's conversation with Bob Weir. When you think of the dead, do you think of the music over the years in phases or do you think of it yeah. as one thing? Well, both. Um, what, how, how would you define the phases for, as you were experiencing it? Well, there was uh, there was pre-acid test. And then on Jerry's birthday in uh, August 1st of 1965, we, we all took acid except Pigman. He never, he, he never did. And right, right about then we fell into the acid test and, and uh, things got way different real fast. And so there was that phase... And that phase lasted through our first record, which was, I guess, 67. Yeah. And uh, so that was a couple of years there, 65 to 67. And we were, well, actually, that phase lasted a little longer. It lasted through the late 60s, where we were pretty 
pretty committed to experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that was probably our focus. Then after that, uh, in the early '70s, and I guess. It was right around the time that Crosby, Stills, and Nash moved into Northern California to Marin County. And we started, you know, it just sort of rubbed off that those guys, those guys were song oriented. They thought, you know, they weren't about plan. They were about songs and the overall sound of it and, uh, and how it fell together. And, and, um, particularly Jerry and I, uh, became, uh, enamored of that approach. Mm. So like Uncle John's band might have been around that time. Yeah, yeah. Speak to that. Uh, yeah, and uh, and we we started thinking in terms of songs, and I'm not sure that everybody in the band, even to this day, thinks of the material in terms of songs. Uh, you know, a song, you know, all hail the song in in capital in gold gold capital letters. Um, I'm not sure everybody is on that same page. You know, some of the guys are still, oh, yeah, what's what's a song? A song is a set of chord changes and a melody that you play, you play through. And, uh, and I'm, I, I, I started leaving that behind. A song plays me. Yes. Uh, around that time. Um, it's really interesting, the idea that not everybody in the band might be on the same page could lead to very interesting results. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, it keeps things interesting. Absolutely. You get different perspectives. Absolutely. I don't know even how to ask this question. Was the band democratic? Like, was it a democratic process? It was. So everybody had a say. Pure and simple. And, um, was it majority rules or would, yeah. You know, there was, would there ever be a case where everybody likes something and one person really didn't like it and you would decide not to do it because they didn't like it? Every now and again, there was one guy, and I won't go into names, but yes. one, one guy who insisted on on uh, veto privilege. Yes. And I think that's a privilege. I don't think that's a right. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, we granted it to him. Yes. Um, uh, not sure that that was the best way to have gone about that. Yes. But uh, aside from that, everything was... was Democratic, the the best idea usually won out. Yes. Um, Jerry was real. I won't say forceful; he wasn't forceful at all. But he had a way of uh, getting his ideas across so that uh, people understood them. And and uh, and I I I like to think that I was also pretty good at that. Yeah. You know, uh, presenting a vision very quickly and uh, and uh, and succinctly, and uh, in a in a in a way that was palatable for the guys to. Uh, Pick it up. Yes. How did the audience taping start, where the audience would tape the shows? Well, it started simply because uh, the, the Japanese started miniaturizing uh, quality recording uh, units. You know, I guess you were started with it, but uh, but then, you know, Sony and Panasonic and all those guys were making, and um, Nakamichi were, were making really high quality uh, recording units and, and people just started bringing them to the uh, to uh, the gigs and recording the gigs and uh, for at first they you know they they'd have their you know their microphone trees you know and, and so they were uh, they were 
causing a little bit of friction out in the audience because people didn't want to have to look or peer around those I things. I see. So it blocked people's views. So we uh, we had to herd them together into one place. And at that point, our record company at the time was uh, was uh, hammering us. You know, you got to shut this down. These guys are these they're recording your music, and then they're not going to buy your records. And that um, this. It came up. I remember one time in a in a we had a board meeting. You know, where we have to get together and and uh, and decide all kinds of stuff. And one of the one of the issues was uh, the record company was uh, was insisting that we we do something about this uh, this taping phenomenon. And we kicked it around and decided, we're, hey, we're not cops. And uh, and we wouldn't feel good about that because we know they wouldn't feel uh, the audience wouldn't feel yeah. good about being shut down like that. Yeah. So let's let's get them at least all in one place, and uh, so that they don't obstruct the view uh, of yes. the, the folks who aren't recording, and um, and just leave well enough alone. The uh, was the uh, record company was displeased about this, but uh, it turned out real well because uh, you know they. They made their tapes. They'd make one or two generations of duplicates and uh, and pass them around all hand to hand, direct eye contact and that kind of thing, and uh, and were credited with uh, inventing viral marketing. Yes, and uh, we backed into it. Yes, you know, and the fact that if you think about it, it also most plays to the strength of the band. The yeah. fact that it's so different from night to night. Yeah, that. A, a recording that's made once every two years in a recording studio is only going to be that one day in the right, recording right. studio. Whereas if it's different every day, and if you're a fan, I want to hear all that. Right, you can you can indulge all the sophistry you you, you, can, you can summons to uh, to debate this dark star as opposed to this dark star, yeah. bird it's song or whatever. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's also fascinating how the um the reality of the moods of the people playing it could so impact how the song how the song is uh interpreted yeah and um and the audience gets that experience too you know really does change the the character changes wildly yeah it it feels like the the your contemporary bands slowly morphed into the ones that that continued into more traditional, mm-hmm. structured, three-minute songs, and uh, their records sounded like what they, they they made a record, and then they performed that record live. Mm-hmm. And whereas your band, for whatever reason, never really did that. It, it feels like it was always free and always open. It's just due to the personalities, you think? Yeah, it's, it, it was our approach. Um, you know, if, if we were to, uh, if we, if we were to try to do stuff, you know, out of road, uh, just the way it was, the way it was on the record uh, tonight again for the four hundredth time, you know, I'd be up in a bell tower with a sniper's rifle in no time at all. Yeah, um, I, I just I can't do that. I'm not cut out for that. Yeah. Um, and some folks too. Some some folks are more technicians, mm-hmm. um, but and that's where they get to, you know they you know and they they can bring a bunch of expert technique to uh, to a song and the song will live just mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. that way. 
but uh, but that's not how we did it. Yeah, I guess that would be like the difference between classical and jazz. Like classical was more about yeah playing the part as well as you could. Right. And jazz was about, well, we have this theme that we're starting with and right. we're going to see where it goes and yeah. so going to go somewhere else every night. Yeah, and we, we, ours was the jazz MO. Yeah. Which is, again, maybe when you started, people were doing that, but that seemed to be a lost art. Like, like it, it have, other than your band, there's not a lot of bands that continued doing that. Yeah. It, you, I think you have to be pretty gifted in that particular, uh, approach to to pull it off not everybody was they'd have their moments but the safe thing to do was to uh to practice Mm -hmm. and uh and the only thing we practiced was our approach yes whereas other people practice the song yes we can't do that yes with our it would like give it away (laughs) yeah it has to happen in the moment it has to Amazing. It's an amazing story. It's, there's, um, it's so, the trip is so unlike anything else. It's, it's interesting to talk about it because it's just such a unique, it's such a unique thing from the outside. I, I started as very much of a song person in my life. So it took me a long time to get into the band because it seemed more about playing than it seemed about songs until, until, later until i understood more yeah like i say some of the guys in the band and some of the louder ones in the band were about the playing and, and yeah. not about the song yes that was how did it work out that you had two drummers um long complicated story i'm not sure anybody understands somebody went and heard i wasn't there that evening but somebody went and heard mickey playing at the straight theater on Haight street uh I think that's how it happened. Billy, and they dragged Billy, and uh, Billy got met him, and uh, they got to talking, and they let's try kicking kicking around with uh, with two drummers. Were there any other bands that had two drummers at that time? No, and uh, I think well at that point also we were listening to a bunch of uh, Indian classical music, mm-hmm. North Indian classical music, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that's classical music, but it's uh, there's you know, there's a lot of improv that goes on in it. Yes, and um, and the rhythms are really complicated. Yeah, and the top. rhythms are complicated, and so we you know the rhythms were so complicated that uh, it sort of expanded our awareness of uh, what you can do with a rhythm. You know how you can adjust this part, adjust that part, and then uh, put an underlay under this part. And it looked; it just seemed to us that uh, that there was room for another drummer to go into some of those places. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I was ever really all altogether sold on uh, on the two drummer yes. two drummers business because it started to take it more in the direction of playing and less in the direction of songs. Yes, for me. Yes, um, it definitely complicates things. Yeah, yeah. I remember in the there's the. Um, the Grateful Dead movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> that And there's only one drummer in that. Yeah. And that seemed really good. <laughs> we, you know, that was, uh, we were hot. That was a good phase. Yeah. Uh, was it an interesting experience when, like, the, the touch of gray thing happened and all of a sudden you are have music on the radio and on, on MTV and... Yeah, that, you know, the predictable thing happened, too. It took one of us out. 
uh, you know, it took Brent out, you know, too much too soon. It's uh, invariably uh, doesn't work out. Yeah. Now, we so, so gradually and so slowly became famous that um, we were able to, you know. Remain yourselves. Yeah, remain yeah. ourselves. But uh, the too much too soon phenomenon hit hit Brent because he, he hadn't, he hadn't been through all that whole developmental phase hmm. and, uh, took him out. Wow. You'd, you'd been in band 20 years at that point, more? 30. 30. It's, it's really must've been a wild, yeah. just, just so unusual. And I can't even say good or bad, just like what a new dimension. Right. It's like, what a new direction unplanned seemed like yeah but songs were good well the songs were good and also we'd had them on stage for a while so they'd uh, they'd matured they'd grown faces i see and they matured before you recorded them yeah oh that that's you know we've been playing some of those songs for like uh you know five or six years it was getting long about time to make a record yeah we'll be right back with more from bob weir after the break As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices. 
anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. We're back with Bob Weir. I think the thing that first pulled me, the thing that first made made me understand the band more interestingly was more that, that second folk phase. And I think it was the reckoning when I heard that. It's like, oh, I, I see my way in. And through that, it allowed me to expand through the whole, the whole world of, of the music. Well, interestingly, on the subject of, uh, of the song as opposed to the playing, um, in Deadco now, the drummers are getting um, are, are going to get teleprompters, so that right in front of their right under their noses are going to be the lyrics of all the songs. Because uh, you know your average uh, your average seventeen year old in in our audience probably knows more lyrics to more of our songs than than uh, yes. I think that's going to change our focus. Uh, could change could change it dr- dramatically. Yes. Is is John Mayer always in that band or sometimes? Uh, well, when that band's playing, he's in it. That's interesting. How did that work out? He's a great guitar player. It's yeah. an interesting combination. I he went through his dead phase about uh, I guess he he hit that about five years ago, but he's John Mayer, so he can do something about that. Yes, and uh, and uh, I remember talking to him about it. We we. He was, we, we both kind of got into our dead phase at a similar time and we were sharing notes. So. <laughs> and so, uh, and, uh, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, Don was, uh, yeah. uh, we got together in Don's office. Great. Uh, and, uh, and John was downstairs, uh, working in the studio there. Yeah. And, uh, I was visiting Don and he said, listen, I'm going to go down and get, uh, John, John Mayer. And uh, he was real interested in what I what what I was up to at that point. And uh, he had a TV show, the late late show, I think it was uh, a late night TV show that he was uh, guest hosting. And he invited me to uh, to come and play on that. And so I, I figured that was uh, uh, you know Keltner was on drums, so I, I figured okay, I'm not I'm not gonna miss that opportunity. <laughs> 
we uh you know that we got there for the sound check and uh plugged in and uh we, they gave us two song slots and we plugged in and we started started playing and a couple hours later they said okay you guys are done with sound check uh we're unplugging you now because uh because we we just we, we started playing and we didn't stop yes and so i figured okay well let's do something about this yes and uh and he 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 was thinking the same thing that's great yeah so cool what a cool combination and so great that the band it 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 found a way to carry on yeah well Amazing. the music the yes. music you know there's life there there's, yes you know there's absolutely yeah absolutely do you think there's a reason the um I, and I can't think of another example of a band who have had so much impact, so much success, so much importance, so much love, yet never really connected as well on the record side as on the live side. Is it? Do you think there's a reason for that? I've pondered this. And was it ever a frustration, or was it not an issue? Well, I like I like recording as. Um, but the recordings that we're kind of famous for are our live recordings. Yes. And those are, you know, like the difference between a painting and a photograph. Yes. The photograph captures, captures the moment. And if it's really, a, if it's really a spectacular moment, then you got, you got something you can hang on your wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, a painting is something you, you, you go into layer by layer and, uh, and, and tell the story. And I've always enjoyed, always enjoyed, uh, you know, studio recording, but some of the other guys didn't, you know, mm. they, they, you know, they get frustrated, you know, why am I going over this again, trying to get it perfect? Mm-hmm. It almost, to, to me, it almost feels like a missed opportunity because I, I think there could have been, yeah, there could have been really great records, but maybe, maybe in the same way that the other bands got more strict in their performances to imitate the, the, recordings. the recordings, maybe your your band's records could have been more like you were live, more yeah. like jazz albums. Well, that's that's what I'm thinking. I, I really want to get in the studio with Deadco, um, and go that it go makes, that direction. It feels like playing. That's plays to the strength of what you do. Yeah, and just get relaxed and in the studio and get into a, a studio groove and and uh, and then just crank some stuff out. Yeah, I bet it's going to be good. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if, you know, pretty much virtually any night that we, we play, there's we're gonna we're gonna have some moments that we've never had before. Yes, and uh, and I've got a stack of uh, a stack of those moments that I'm about to wade into, and see if I can make some songs out of them. Great, and uh, and you know, it could it could be it, it could come to pass that we uh, end up making our first record. At our sound checks in uh, uh, on this uh, on a summer tour, that would that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I mean we've got all the facility there. Yeah, what's this summer's tour looking like? Looking like is it a U.S. tour? Yeah, great. We're starting to talk about going to Europe. Has Deadco played Europe yet? No, not yet. That's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. How many times did the Dead go to Europe? Uh. For tours only like three or four, maybe five. Yeah, which in the in the length of time that you were doing what you were doing, that's 
mm-hmm. barely scratching the surface. It was such an enormous undertaking, and yes. uh, and and there was also the drug issue. Yes. You know, the guys, uh, some of the guys didn't want to go without bringing mama. Yeah, and uh, and that was uh, that presented its challenges. Were there other bands in the scene at the time that you liked as as the band was happening in the early oh, days? Oh, sure, yeah. What, what what was the music that spoke Huge to you? Into, uh, we were big. In, I was big into the band. Yeah, the, the guys who built this place. Yes. Um, then we'd go through phases. I mean, we had our sat- Saturday Night Fever phase. Yeah. Um, Marley was always a, a big uh, mm-hmm. popular, but reggae in general. Um, and we had our country phase uh, kind of early on. Uh, you know, then I'd discover a, a composer, for instance, that uh, would influence my writing. You know, mm-hmm. Bartok got uh, got under my got into mm-hmm. my head for a little while. How many solo albums have you made? It depends. First off, if you consider uh, Bobby and the Midnight's a solo album. I never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. But if if that's the case, then one, two, three, four, five, you know, eight or ten. Yeah, it's a lot. I can't wait for this next one. The little trio uh, Wolf Bros is, is it's a lot of fun. Tell me about it. Well, it's just me and uh, and my drummer from Rat Dog, Jay Lane, and, and Don Was. One of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, you were talking about writing, and I'm I'm pretty much writing all the time. Um, I've got this. Uh, well, I can maybe play a little <laughs> bit of it. I can't. It's ballad. I'm. So that's a tune I'm working on for an opera I'm writing. Beautiful. It what what struck me when you played that is. It's not uncommon when someone is playing a song on the piano to play the rhythm part with their left hand and the top line or the melody with their right hand, but rarely would a rarely would a guitar player who sings play what you just played <laughs> because you played both the rhythm guitar part and it so more like a you played it more like a piano right, where guess. you're playing the melody along with the and and most songwriters I know who would play that song would just be playing the chords and would be even humming the melody if they didn't have the words yet. Right, yeah, I was so, thinking of humming the melody. But it's very interesting that you, you chose to do it that way because it, it first of all, it's really satisfying to listen to. And um, I just don't hear people play that way. Right. Beautiful. Uh, working with some folks in Nashville on, on this. And... Um, Kind of, kind of cranked up about this. It's uh, it's going to be a big project. I, I've been recording some of the music in, in Nashville, and uh, had uh, got a, a producer by the name of Dave Cobb, who's really good. Good guy. Yeah, I like him a lot. A wonderful guy too. Yes. And um, and we're working on this, and he's of course very interested in me getting this, uh, getting the lyrics, getting lyrics to uh, all the uh, all the music that we've written, and. I was uh we had some wonderful sessions there. He he assembled a, a little crew in the studio that that uh we we just just popped out uh, a bunch of great tunes. I <laughs> had no notion I was going to be writing an opera until recently. Yeah. Amazing how it works. Yeah. Amazing. 
Yeah. And so much fun. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. it the, the, the discovery process remains like this epiphany moment where um, you right. get that sense of almost like, can't believe it's happening. Right, yeah. You know. Doesn't get old. Yeah, I know. You know it when it's there. Too. Yeah, and it's such a great feeling. It's such a, I don't know, I feel it in my whole body when it yeah. happens. It's exciting. It's- the spine becomes electric. You, Absolutely. You become weightless. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Same can happen with a performance. Like even yeah. a song you played a hundred times, one night it just yeah, something happens. There it is. Oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was meaning um, in the writing process, but say, yeah. it's, a, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing when those, mm-hmm. when, the, when the ordinary elevates to the extraordinary, it's, unbelievable and so beautiful the muse just pats you on the head and says okay now's your time now's your little moment here so great i'm going to show you a little something yeah cool man well thank you for talking well my pleasure a pleasure having me thank you for playing all right thanks to bob weir for opening up about his creative process and sharing everything he's working on with rick you can check out bobweir.com to stay up to date on everything he's working on we put together a playlist of our favorite Bob Weir songs. You can find it by visiting brokenrecordpodcast.com. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Milo Bell, and Leah Rose for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side-by-side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.